Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to be reading Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired Word through the Apostle Paul. Father, help me teach this text. Oh, please cause me to not misuse it or misunderstand it. Let me say what it says. And I pray the prayer that you don't leave any of us without the power of Your Spirit in our inner being in order that we would taste savingly of Jesus' love for us together this morning to the glory of His name. Amen. Our biggest problem as Christians in the Christian life is not knowing experientially the love that Jesus really has for us. No matter how my day goes, the root of it will go back to there to one extent or another. To the extent that we're defeated, to the extent that in our daily life we feel dry over the Word of God, or we feel bored in our prayer life, or we feel no desire to contemplate and to speak of and to converse about the great things of God revealed in Scripture, to the extent that we're overcome by our innate sinful nature or the flesh, is the extent that we are not presently knowing and grasping the love that Jesus has for us, His people. When the storms of life hit you, when tears flow, when anxiety rises, when your short-temperedness is evident to all who live with you. Do you want to be pulled back? Do you want to be pulled back into the experience of joy and love and the peace that your Savior's arms will give you? That's the question. And the answer to how you go about that is this passage this morning. This passage, at its core, is about experiencing the love of Christ for you. Now, think about a a couple who are madly in love with each other. There's an experience. They don't wake up Every morning thinking, oh shoot, i got to spend time with her or him again today. 
Oh, well, um, we're boyfriend and girlfriend or married. Well, got to do what you got to do. Even the drudgeries of life. Not when they're experiencing love. It's not how it is. But instead, they're captivated by the love of the other. They're captivated by being loved by the other. He will move mountains to spend time with her because he grasps the breadth and the length, the height and the depth of what her love to him really means. And he is filled with all the fullness of her love. You see, all genuine, that is, born-again people. I didn't say all people who professed Christ or got baptized, but all born-again people are meant to pray and to experience the love with which Christ loves us daily in our lives. So, let me first... We began the prayer last week. So I just want to... I want to just flow... See the whole flow through in about a minute and a half again. And we'll come back. Because this is the gist of what Paul is doing from verses 14 to 19. First, we pray. We ask God, grant to us strength by Your indwelling power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being, our inner Man, so that we will be tasting of the riches of your glory by the Holy Spirit. Why? Paul says, so that our trust in the truth of Scripture, our trust in the promises of God, it's called faith, and all that He would be for us, that our faith, our trust, would grow. Okay. Then he says, as that is happening, In the Christian life, there's a result. And the result is that our hearts would be the place where Christ loves to dwell and make His home. Now, to say that in another way, what Paul goes on to do, is to say that is what it means to be rooted and grounded in Christ's love for you. And being rooted and grounded in Christ's love because He's dwelling in us by the power is the key to grasping hold of the love that Christ has for us. Which leads to personally experiencing the love of Christ. And then, the pinnacle of the passage, the very end, that's how you reach that goal. The goal of being filled to overflowing with all the fullness of God. Or to just say what Paul's driving at in another way. That is the Christian life of maturing. Of growing up into Christ. Not being anymore a child. To be tenderized by a very intimate, personal love of Christ in our lives. That's the prayer. That's the text. So, let's take a closer look at it. Last week, we left off in the middle of the prayer, in the middle of verse 17. And what we saw last week was that God granting to us His power, it provides strength to Christians deep down in our souls, which results in Christ dwelling, which results in Christ having lordship over our desires, which affects, therefore, our lifestyles. So let's go back and read. Start with verse 16. Paul says, I'm praying that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, now that's where we left off. Another way to say that, 
That Christ there, through this process, dwelling in your hearts through faith, is what Paul says next. It is to be rooted and grounded in love. And that being rooted and grounded in love leads to the goal that Paul lays out of deeper intimacy with Christ. So let's again read slowly and all the way through now. Start with verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The Christian life, he says here, is rooted and it's grounded in love. What does that mean? Well, here in this context, he does, it does not mean our love for God. It doesn't mean our love for one another or for others on a horizontal level. In this context, He means God's love for us. He has just been praying that the power of God would absolutely experientially affect you. Meaning what? That through our understanding of the Gospel, the mystery that Paul is laying out, we would see the love of God for us in Jesus Christ and thus be rooted and grounded in God's love for you. And now he goes on. Why? In order that you may have strength to comprehend with all the other Christians, the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The experiencing of God's love for us, Paul says, is foundational to our lives. And that's why he uses two metaphors here. One from botany. One from architecture building. To be rooted. It's from botany. He's talking about roots into the ground of a huge tree. Your life is a tree. And he says your roots mean they go down and you are sturdy. So that when the floods and the storms of life come, the tree doesn't come up out of the ground. Jesus said something of that nature, didn't He? And you're rooted and grounded. He's picturing a building. A sturdy building. Look at that. But nice, pretty buildings can go kaboom when the earthquake comes unless they are grounded with a deep foundation to withstand earthquakes and floods. And he says, that's what God's love for you in Christ through experience is meant to do. To root you and to ground you. This is a prayer life of internal calm that maintains in the midst of vacillating feelings in emotions, in life circumstances. Here, here's the picture I think that Paul's painting. You love the Lord Jesus. You're walking with Christ. You're serving Christ. You're pursuing holiness. You love to worship with the saints. You love being in Bible study. You have your own private prayer time over the Scripture. And you lay your life down for your brothers 
and your sisters. Things are going great. And then, boom. Out of nowhere, you lose your job. Boom. You find out you have cancer. Boom. A loved one dies. A spouse, for some reason, becomes a person you never knew. Or you're crushed by the betrayal of a friend. Or, let's just take Paul. (laughs) He's serving the Lord. And he's constantly spoken badly of. Even within segments of the church. He's beaten up. Stoned. Again. And again. He's thrown into prison. He's actually writing this letter. He's been incarcerated for almost five years at this point, And he's still incarcerated in Rome as he writes. And so, everything's going good, but look at my life. Look what has happened. And then what happens is that you hear voices whispering into your mind. You see? God doesn't love you. Or this wouldn't happen, Paul. Or anybody else who's in Christ. You don't deserve God's love. But Paul and we are called to have our roots deep. And it only comes by prayer. And God answering that prayer through His power And so God sends the roots into our lives deep about the love of Christ. And thus, in the midst of all that, we get rid of the voices. We say, no, I have the Word on this and I'm pressing into the experience of this. And therefore, we have even joy in the midst of suffering or pain that's unimaginable. Because it's the joy of experiencing the profound, infinite, eternal love of Christ. Because you're firmly rooted in it. That's what he's saying. And Christ then dwelling in you and thus causing you to be firmly rooted and grounded with a foundation in His love for you in the text as you read it carefully. That is what enables verses 18 and 19. So look at it. So this rooting and grounding in love, why? So that you may have strength. That's not merely theology. Something I, oh, I, I know I got strength. No, it is experiencing strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he says, by being rooted, you may have strength for two things. To comprehend and to know. To comprehend, he means, you'll have strength, meaning to grasp hold of, or to acquire an understanding of something. And now it's the way Paul, right, words this, it's like he's building, right? He's building our anticipation about some great object. He wants his readers to grow strong enough, in other words, to understand something that is massive. So he says it this way, that you may have strength To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth 
in length, in height, in depth of, and then he doesn't say, of what? It's like the cell phone just went dead. Because from there he just jumps to the next verb. To comprehend is the first, to know is the second. That you may comprehend the, the height, length, depth, width. Just, okay, of what? And to know the love of Christ. Now, the reason I just mention it that way is for a moment. Because in studying the history of this text and in commentaries for almost 2,000 years, it is amazing how many different ideas try to come up to say, okay, Paul stopped and then, what was the object he's talking about? Is it the mystery of Christ unfolded? Is it this, that, or the other? And throughout history, there have been all these ideas. And I don't think it's that complicated at all. I think the answer is in the next verse. It's what he's going to say. He means the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of the love that Jesus has for you. That's what he's saying. He just stopped it. It's a rhetorical thing. And to know it, to comprehend and to know the same thing for Paul. He wants to use as many terms as he can to get to the point. I don't mean mere Intellectual knowledge is what he's driving at. That you may grasp, that's what comprehending, that you grasp, not merely knowing some information, but grasp it. Because the whole context is what? Paul's prayer for God's power. He means the power of God causing you to grasp you would have the experience, the experience of the breadth and length and height and depth. So, in other words, to know the love that Jesus has for you. That surpasses knowledge. And when he says surpasses knowledge, I think it's his way of saying the same thing. The height, breadth, length, depth. Because there he's talking about, you'll never reach the end of this. We're talking about God in Christ. His love. The eternal one. Infinite. You don't get to the place, I've got it all. To know Him surpasses knowledge. You're never going to grasp it all. Nothing else. To experience here. Did that yesterday. It's not going to happen. That's Paul's prayer. That we grasp. And it only happens by the power of God through the Holy Spirit in our inner beings. So, let me ask you a question. Do you study Scripture? Do you read your Bible? Do you listen to sermons? Or just simply say it the way. When it comes to content of Christianity, to God's holy, infallible, inerrant Word, do you have knowledge? You should. It's indispensable to everything Paul's talking about. And it's really good that you do. Here's a different question. It's not the same question. Do you know Christ's love for you that is beyond head knowledge? Do you know Him? Paul, in his prayer, and that you would know the love of Christ. That means Christ's love for us here. You would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
That's how he's praying for the church in Asia Minor. And how he would pray for us, they're no worse off than we are or in desperate need as we are. So slow down for a moment. Let's, let's think about it. What, what, Paul, what, what are you doing? For almost the whole three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has laid out clearly the gospel of God's profound grace from before creation. He chose you in Christ and He grabbed you. And the mystery, meaning the message of Christ, what Jesus, the historical figure, did in His life, death, and resurrection is then unfolded through the apostles, like the Apostle Paul who got it straight from God, the Holy Spirit, the profundity of how it all works. He's laid out all this knowledge and He says, you who are Christians, you're in Christ. The inheritance, chapter 1, is absolutely secure. You cannot be lost. You won't be. You'll make it. He is saving you through the knowledge that came to you. Because how could you believe in Him of whom you have not heard? You have to. Paul has just laid all of that out and you're absolutely secure in the love of Christ and the cross. Does that make sense so far? Well, then he... Evidently, because of this prayer, he assumes that we believers do not really grasp the love that Christ has for us. Like we should and could. There's always more depth, breadth, length, and height of experience of the love of Christ. And that's why he prays. And that's why we are in need always of God's present power to cause us to comprehend the height, the breadth, the length, and the depth. To know the love of Christ, to know Christ's love for us, therefore has to mean here to know it experientially. To be experiencing His love for us. See, the way that Paul structures this, it makes it clear that the knowledge he's talking about cannot refer to just simple, intellectual, uh, grabbing hold of truths. Like, okay, got it. I understand it. Jesus died for me. He loves me. I know that. And go on your way. You can't be meaning that here. This is clearly an intimate, personal knowledge of the indwelling Christ. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the very power of God at work in believers. Drawing them into the experience of the Spirit of Jesus' love for them. That's the prayer. Watch how this works in Paul's life. Especially when he's going through stuff that almost none of us, if none of us can relate to on a constant basis in his life and ministry. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 13-15, and you know 2 Corinthians is where he really lays out. How do I say I'm going to be... Oh, I don't want to miss... How he is pummeled in life and in ministry. For if, Corinthians, we seem to be nuts, beside ourselves, it's for God. If we seem to be in our right mind, it's for you. Now watch, what, watch Paul. Listen to his words here. For the love of Christ. Meaning, for Christ's love 
for us controls us. That's not merely a theological statement for Paul. There's all kinds of times every one of us Christians are not at all constrained or controlled by Christ's love and that's why you sin and why I sin. But overall, Paul's talking about his life, what drives him. Jesus' love for me. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And He died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him, Christ, who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says that the love of Jesus for him in this glorious gospel of grace is a controlling factor of how he does life. Or the way he would say it at the end of Romans, chapter 8, who shall separate us from the... Don't don't let this be a throwaway line. It's not to Paul. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Distress? Persecution? Or famine? No. Nakedness or danger or sword putting us to death? No. Nothing will separate me, Paul says, or us Christians from Jesus' love. Us. And Paul says, this knowing of the love of Christ for us surpasses knowledge. See, it's one thing to know stuff about a person. It's quite another to know the person. So that you... And he used, it's the same root word in Greek, just like in English we see it here too, with our English no. That you may know Christ's love for you that surpasses knowing. Play on words. Most of us get that. You ever have an intimate, close friend and someone else doesn't really know them and starts to tell you some things about them? You don't have a clue who my friend is. And so when Paul says, this is a knowing that surpasses knowledge, he is not at all disparaging biblical knowledge, gospel knowledge, the indispensability of knowledge of how God has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. He's not putting it down whatsoever. He is assuming it because he's been laying it out. In fact, to Paul, it is absolutely crucial for this experience to have intellectual, biblical knowledge. In chapter 1, he said, God made known to us the mystery of His will. Talking about the Gospel. He goes on to say to the readers, In Him you also, when you heard... Heard what? The Word of Truth. That's information. That's the Gospel. You have to hear it. You have to think about it. It's indispensable. When you heard the Word of Truth, the Gospel of your salvation, then what happened? You believed in Him and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It is absolutely crucial and indispensable to have the knowledge of Scripture in you. He said in chapter 3 earlier, in verse 3, Paul says, you know how the mystery was made known to me by revelation? And then what did he do with it? He says, I have written it down. Briefly. And when you... Read this. That's an intellectual activity. 
When you read this, you can understand or perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Knowledge is huge. But Paul's point here, this is a knowing now of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It because knowledge is always a means to something greater. It's not the goal. Knowledge is not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of knowledge is worship. It's relationship with Christ. It's intimacy. It is finding our deep seated longing for true and everlasting happiness and contentment forever. And the Gospel says it's available. We come through the knowledge to the person who dwells now in us. Knowledge is a means, an indispensable means to worship, adoration, glorying in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you never, ever, ever come to the end of that. These four dimensions of breadth, length, height, and depth are not like some finite box. I'm up against a wall. Nothing more to know. It is an impossibility as finite creatures. It is a grasping more and more of every dimension of Christ's love for us. This is what the Christian life of growth, development... Okay, I'm sorry... Bible word now. Sanctification. That's what it is about. Every regenerated or born again person knows something of the love that Jesus has for them or they're not saved. They're not born again. They know something. If it's only John 3.16 and God went kaboom and they see it. Eternal life. Eternal life through His Son whom He gave. Everyone knows something of the personal love of Christ if they're born again. But all those who are believers walking planet earth do not know that love to the same extent. Or Paul would never pray. This love of experiencing Christ loving us, it is a mixture of all these dynamics in the Christian life. First, it does include necessarily a, a grasping of the meaning on the pages of Scripture. Yeah. And it is taking that meaning and turning it into adoration and joy and affection and praise of Christ. And all of that through life is mixed, bummer. But it is through setbacks and pain and sickness and financial turns and through service and love and Bible study and giving and daily being in touch with your remaining sinfulness and repenting. And, oh my gosh, I've been sinned against and I'm demanded to forgive them as Christ. Oh yeah, I've got to forgive them. I can go on and on, right? Through bearing with one another, as Paul would put it to the churches all the time. It is all of this mixture. But don't stop there. Mixed with this prayer. All of that mixture. Praying for the power of God to provide the strength to experience Jesus' love in the midst of all. 
That was Paul's pursuit in his own personal life. He said it this way in Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss. He forsook a lot of his former life. I count everything as loss because of something that was just so much more tempting. Because of the surpassing worth or value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Just stop for a minute. Do you think Paul just meant, okay, I know the Gospel. He's the Messiah and died and rose again. You think that's what he's talking about? It's not. I forsook it for the surpassing value treasure of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Therefore, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as trash in order that I may gain Christ so that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. That's Paul's prayer. We would be wise to pray Paul's prayer for each other. And for ourselves. I'm never going to count. I don't know if anyone's praying for me right now. i got to pray. Especially when I'm so in touch with my own sinfulness. In my own hard-heartedness towards the love of Christ. And non-experience of it. So, if that's right. If that clicks with you, what I have said. If we have understood Paul correctly so far, then the ultimate goal of this passage is crystal clear. All of what Paul's praying here is for the purpose of leading to maturity in Christ as a believer. It ends with a purpose clause. The purpose he says, of being strengthened to comprehend and to know the love of Jesus for you is, look at the end of verse 19, in order that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To personally be experiencing the immeasurable Love of Christ, that is to be filled with all the fullness of God. So when he says, so that you'll be filled with all the fullness of God, don't go away and say, okay, there's a nice verse for the day. I wonder what that means. He's just told you what it means and how to go about it. Praying for the power of God cause you to commune and to be experiencing the profound depths of Jesus' love for you. And when he says this, these terms are with be filled with all the fullness of God, Paul's going somewhere with that in this letter, okay? So I, I just for a minute, I want you to just flip over a page to chapter four for a moment and see where he's going with this. Chapter four thirteen, Paul writes until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness. Now, not, he didn't say God here. He says Christ. Fullness of Christ. So as we will be seen in chapter 4, the aim there is the maturity in the midst of the local churches, which say, it happens in the midst of church life, is his context. Fullness of Christ. Here in our verse in chapter 3.19, God's the one who does the filling. 
that you may be filled. You're not filling yourself. He's filling, and the goal of the filling is the fullness of God. He doesn't mean that you'll just fill so that your filling will go all the way to the full. He means that you'll be filled with all of God's fullness. That's what he means by fullness of God. In other words, that which is God in His essence and fullness, His holiness, His righteousness, His character, His being, His pleasure, His perfection, that you would be experiencing more of Him is filling in you. To know Christ intimately. To be experiencing the love of Jesus Christ is to be being filled with all the fullness of God. Why? Because God's divine perfections, holiness, essence, and fullness are found in perfection in the man, Jesus Christ. Remember, as Paul's in this room with a, with a Roman guard, he's dictating this letter, he has just written the letter to the Colossians. He's going to send them off together. And he says it this way in Colossians 1.19, For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In chapter 2 of Colossians, he goes on to say, For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you, Christian, have been filled in Christ, who is the head of all rule. So in experiencing the love of your Savior, Jesus Christ is to be being filled with all the fullness of God because He is God in all His fullness who is also human in order to suffer and die and save you and be your champion. And He dwells within us by the very Holy Spirit of God Himself. So, now the theology section. It's only going to take a minute. What's going on is this. And Paul knows this. It's throughout his letters. Every Christian, positionally, meaning, I'm not talking about what's going on inside sinful Joe LeMay, but what's going on in God concerning me because of the propitiation of Christ and regeneration that brought me to faith, and thus He justified me. He means this of every believer. Positionally, before God, we have attained all the perfections of Christ. We are the righteousness of Christ. Because His perfect righteousness in His Humanity has been imputed to us. Not infused. I didn't say that word. I said imputed. Meaning put to our ledger or legal account before God. I am justified. If you're in Christ, though you're a sinner, you are justified in His eyes. Another way to say justified, that verb, is to say you have been declared righteous. Because it's not your righteousness. It's Jesus' We have attained positionally, even now, the perfections of the fullness of God for us in Jesus Christ. Okay. And the New Testament is so clear on this one that if a person is justified, there will be fruit of it. It's called sanctification. Sanctification is that big word meaning now what's happening in us as we battle through life and worship and prayer and I want to experience more of you and if we confess our sins, He's faithful. It's, it's that ongoing thing. 
So what Paul is saying in this prayer is that in the sanctification, we're on a journey now to become what we already are positionally. Okay, if you get that, that's why prayer. That's why prayer bringing about the divine enabling is crucial for our maturity. And so that Paul has said that, I just again, I want to give you just a taste as I, I read a paragraph or two ahead for a moment. He's going to go on now and say how this is operating in the local churches. When Jesus ascended, He gave gifts, apostles and prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Why? In order to equip the Christians for the work of ministry. The ministry or service He's talking about here is not done by quote-unquote ordained pastors. It's done by the church, the people. The work of ministry. What for? For the building up of the body of Christ, its development, until we all attain to the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Don't think He doesn't mean, is including here with His prayer, He just said before this, you may know Him. Of the knowledge of God unto a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. And the foundation of it all in the Christian walk, there's a lot of means to that, we talk, but is then this. Being empowered to grasp a hold of. To know personally between you and your Savior His profound love for you. And so as I close in up now, How do we know that Jesus is the Savior? How do you know what His love for you entails in me? The book. The Hebrew Scripture. And the New Testament. The Gospels and the unfolding of the meaning of it given to the apostles written down. That's where you find it. That's how you know. So I just, and therefore, oh, how important, how important it is to be taught and to read and to think about what the love of Jesus is as God has revealed it in Holy Scripture. And thus, to grasp the deep things of God. We have a movement in evangelical Christianity that says, don't get deep! They just want to feel good and go home and watch a football game. And you can't go deep with Christ. If you straight arm him and say, I don't care about the depths revealed in Scripture. Okay. That is all crucial. But without prayer, it's all aborted. Because with that, we pray for God's power to change us daily and to bring us to know him more and more. And so there's the application. Go do it. I didn't send you off, Bob. Sorry. Sit down. I'm not done. Gosh. Got to be very careful with these workers around here. So as I close then, 
as we go do it. Let's take Paul. Take Paul as our model. Okay? So just picture, if we can go back and sit with Paul in this Roman room in Rome, and say, Paul, you're getting old now. And I've read some of your other letters, and it's amazing the stuff you've gone through. Paul, please tell us, what drove you? Why did you just keep going in the midst of so much suffering and pain? If you would have just stopped, they would have left you alone. You wouldn't have ended up in jail. Paul, what's your secret? And with tears welling up in his eyes, I think he might look at us and say something like the following kinds of things that he did say. You see, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, because to me to live means Christ. And to die is gain. I gain Christ. See, not that I've already have obtained this or am already perfect. I'm not. But what I do is I press on to make it my own. You know why? Because Christ Jesus made me His own. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And and he looks at this and he says exactly what he says next here. And let those of you who are mature think this way. See, he would say, what drove me? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And he might close with this. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, I am persuaded it will not ever be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what drives my life. That I may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that I would be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Father, I pray that You would use You would use our flesh. You would use our sin as this glorious opportunity daily to covet, to long for being with You. Begging You to pour out of Your and in and through Your Spirit to our inner being. Strength. Strength to comprehend and to know experientially the love of our great Savior. Oh Christ, You are good. Do it. Do it. Cause us to be those who pursue 
holiness, maturity, repentance, humility, growth to the glory of your name and this great salvation. Amen.